Welcome back to Fireside, a podcast from FS Investments. My name is Kara O'Halloran. I'm a director on our investment research team here. And today we have a full episode focused on credit markets. We've talked about credit a bit in some of our research roundtable episodes, but we haven't devoted a full show to the topic yet. And when I say credit, I should make it clear right off the bat, we, we pretty much mean sub-investment grades, so high-yield bonds and senior secured loans. Uh, but specifically today, we are myth-busting. So we're going to go through some of the common misconceptions we've heard about credit over the years and some of the ones that we're specifically hearing a lot in today's environment. And there is nobody better to do this with than Rob Hoffman, who is the head of our research team here, but in a prior life was a credit trader and portfolio manager. Rob, thanks for joining. Hey, thanks for having me. Great yeah, to be here. You ready to myth-bust a little bit? Yeah, let's do it. Let's <laughs> right, do it. Perfect. So before we get into it, um, let's set the stage a little bit, as always. Um, we are recording on August 24th, and man, does it feel like late August right now. <laughs> um, and in some ways, it's felt a little bit like late August in credit markets all year. <laughs> um, we have talked about how high-yield bonds and senior secured loans have been, you know, they have had a good start to the year. They've had pretty stable, predictable returns. We've seen that change a little bit in recent weeks, um, which we will get to. But Rob, catch us up on what credit markets uh, are doing broadly right now. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. We've uh, much of our forecast for the year has been predicated around the income that the markets generate uh, somewhere around 1.4% a quarter for high yield, 1% to 1.1% for loans, um, combined with a little bit of spread tightening. And really, that was our call from the beginning of the year with the idea that markets are a little bit more optimistic and growth is strong and people are feeling a little bit better. And when we looked at where spreads were at the beginning of the year, we felt that there was room to tighten. I think that's still largely, you know, the, the forecast or you know, not so much a forecast, but what we think about today and looking at the market. That being said, you know, we have seen a little bit of a pause uh, into the third quarter, um, Spread tightening has turned into a little bit of spread widening, you know, like 15 basis points worse. So it's, you know, not really anything major. Um, it's but one you, of the most major things that's happened this yeah. year in credit. <laughs> you know, it's, I think one of the headlines is like, you know, spreads are at their, their widest level since March or something like that. But you're not talking about very big moves in numbers. And I think that's, you know, you saw a lot of that spread tightening in Q1 um, and kind of held that throughout Q2. And now we've seen a little bit of widening. Um, into Q3. But, you know, it has impacted the numbers. Uh, high yields currently negative on the month through the 24th. So, you know, that would be the first negative month since like September of last year or something like that. Um, but, you know, it's I don't think anything's really fundamentally changed. Yeah. Um, and I think drilling credit. down, if you look at where we're seeing the spread widening, it's almost like a mini COVID trade. It's like broadcasting, which is live event and stuff like that. So kind of things that we would expect, given some of the concerns around the Delta variant. Yeah, um, I think I think that's right. right I mean, we've seen um, weakness in energy, weakness in gaming and leisure um, and very much, you know, to your point, I think it corresponds. I mean, look, equity markets. You know, the things are moving pretty quick. So, you know, we had had a few days of sell-off in equity, which kind of makes sense. COVID scare and what's the Fed going to do? But then yesterday, equity markets were really strong. Today, markets are strong again. You know, equities could close at all-time highs today. You know, so you, you see these little periods, these little cycles that are happening within the market. Um, but it, but I think it's consistent. There, I think there is definitely a 
moderate feel of, you know, apprehension around risk that's come into the market over the past, you know, six to eight weeks. And we've kind of seen that impact credit markets as well. Yeah. All right, so Rob, you spend a lot of your time actually out talking to advisors, predominantly about credit markets. So we have put together a list of some of the, we'll call them misconceptions that we've we've heard in our travels about credit. Um, so now we're going to debunk these myths, these myths once and for all. Uh, so the first is one that you know is very very popular this year, which is that rising interest rates are a risk to credit. What are your thoughts there? Yeah, you know, it's a great question. It's one that I've been asked a lot about. And, and oftentimes, when we're talking about credit, people ask about interest rates as being really impactful for, you know, the path of interest rates being important for fixed income markets. You know, you noted at the beginning that we're really talking about sub investment grade credit, you know, high yield, uh, you know, things rated below investment grade. And what you find, I think, when you get into those markets is that returns are really driven more by credit risk and people's willingness to take risk in credit markets. And that tends to overwhelm a lot of these trends that you see in interest rates. And so, you know, I think we've written about this before, but you have a market like high yield, which is a fixed rate market, but its historical correlation to changes in rates is basically zero. Um, When you look at duration statistics, and a statistic called like empirical duration, which is how is the market actually done looking back historically as rates have moved, the market tends to do better as rates go up. And the reason for that is when rates are rising, it's generally an environment of good growth. And good growth is good for credit. It's good for risk taking. And that tends to generate positive returns, even though you might have some perception of you know, negative duration risk in a, in a fixed rate market. Um, when we look at loans, you know, there's a, a couple things that are beneficial, but I, I think the same overarching uh, message is the same, which is if rates are going up, generally speaking, risk taking is in favor and loan market being sub investment grade is something that favors allocations to loans. Loans get this additional benefit, which has really helped the market this year to a certain extent, which is retail fund flow dollars tend to also follow interest rates. So when rates go up, the natural inclination is to think that I should be buying a floating rate asset that benefits from rising rates on the rate side. And even if my opinion is that loans don't really benefit all that much from rates going up, it does cause retail investors to want to put more money to work into floating rate funds. And you've seen like $30 billion of inflows into floating rate this year, um, which you know, it's a one and a half trillion dollar market. You know, 30 is not that big of a number, but it, it helps on the margin and I think provides additional support. So, you know, I, the market moves to a certain degree based on rates. But, you know, over time, I think it it evens out and it's much more impactful in terms of the overall, you know, growth cycle and, and you know, corporate risk cycle than, than rates just in and of themselves. Yeah. And I think that over time language that you just used is especially important. You know, I think for high yield, thinking back to in March when we had some of those, you know, interest rate spikes late February, early March, um, and kind of more of just that risk off sentiment broadly around interest rate spikes will ter- will, you know, flow into the high yield market, but then after that, um, you know, we do see high yield actually perform pretty well while interest rates are rising. Yeah, and and look, you saw 
interest rates, you look at the 10-year, has actually fallen off its highs over the past couple months. That's corresponded with the period of time that high yield has run into a little bit of volatility. Um, but to your point on long term, you know, you can go back to the taper tantrum where I think it was, what, 2013, you know, markets definitely got negative as rates went up. But they were negative for like two or three months. And then they got really strong immediately after that because rates were going up because growth was good. And everyone came back to the market at that point in time. So, you know, it's uh, it, it's not quite as easy, I think, as sometimes, you know, you, you think fixed rate, you think duration sensitivity, you think rising rates equal bad. It's it's a bit more complex than that and actually tends to to shade more to the opposite, I think. Right, right. All right. So next, let's talk about spreads. Um, spreads are tight. We all know this. Uh, you know, I think anyone talking about credit right now kind of has to contend with this idea that that spreads are very tight. Um, and I think some people think, okay, well, spreads are tight, so the only way that they, only place they can go is wider and you know, imminently. So I think the next myth that we want to talk about is that tight spreads mean a sell-off is is coming. Yeah, I mean, look, spreads are tight, but I think they're tight for a reason. Um, they're tight because growth is good, risk is low, default rates are low. Um, and that's why we find ourselves where we are in the market right now. And that type of situation can persist for quite a while. Um, you know, just because GDP growth is good doesn't mean next quarter GDP growth is going to be bad. And, you know, I think we have, you know, analogs to periods of time like today, you know, not to say that the period leading into the financial crisis <laughs> was just like right now. But, you know, you had this period of time from 2004 into the middle of 2007, you know, a, a three and a half year period of time where, you know, the average spread environment was basically at or tighter than where we are now for a really long period of time. And returns weren't bad. You know, you're, you're generating your coupon, you're making income. When you look at the relative level of interest rates in the market today, I think the income that these markets generate um, because they're sub-investment grade is relatively competitive. Um, but you know, I think markets follow this general trend of, of growth and credit cycles, and they can take a while. Um, you know, the high over you know you look at a market like high yield over its what 25, 30 year history, it's got six years with negative return or something. That's a lot of space in between those negative years that you're getting persistent positive returns. Um, and I think that could be an environment we find ourselves in now where growth is expected to remain reasonably strong. And, you know, there could be some blips in terms of how strong it really is. But, you know, we're, most people, I think, are not forecasting or calling for recessions anytime soon and expect growth to remain, you know, reasonably strong through the end of next year. And to me, that's you know, the best gauge for what would drive credit markets and, yeah. and ultimately spreads. And to your point about, you know, spreads are tight and they're tight for a reason. And the high yield market is a higher quality than ever before. If you look at just based on ratings breakdown. So the, the largest proportion of double B rated issues basically in its history, um, which obviously carry a lower spread. And um, so it's kind of made the entire market uh, higher quality and, and you know, kind of merits those tighter spreads. Yeah, I mean, I think that's been the basis of one of our calls that we expected spreads to be able to go tighter this year, which is, you know, if you look at the all-time tights for high-yield spreads at like 250 basis points, you know, today we're 100 basis points wide than that. But to your point, the quality of the high-yield market is higher quality than it was when spreads hit those previous lows. 
Um, that's not the same for the loan market. It's actually the opposite in the loan market. Yep. Um, but, you know, to, to say that, you know, when spreads were at 400 or 450, that they couldn't go tighter, especially to your point that the change in composition of the market, you know, we really felt that they could. Um, and I think it's still a basis to say they could go tighter from where they are right now, um, which, you know, means there could be some reasonable upside, you know, depending on the path that markets go. Yeah. And that's a perfect segue into the next uh, next myth that we want to talk about, which is that as an asset class, loans are less risky than high yield bonds because of their seniority in the capital stru- capital structure and the fact that they are senior secured. Um, so you, we just talked about some of the dynamics in the loan market. Um, so what are your thoughts there? Yeah, I mean, it's it's been amazing over my, you know, 20, you know, when I came into the, the, the loan market 20, 21 years ago, it was a much different market at that time. And it's evolved like everything and it's changed. And, you know, it's not just a rising prevalence of covenant light loans and some of these things that has changed the loan market. Um, but the types of companies that access the loan market, um, the size of companies, in particular, one of the things that the market really talks about is companies that are loan-only issuers versus companies that are issuing both bonds and loans. Um, it has really changed the composition of the loan market, and you see a lot less, you know, higher quality, you know, double B type loan issuance, and you've seen a lot more single B loan issuance in the loan market, and. You know, one year doesn't make a, a trend, but we've now had like 10 years of this. And it really has changed the composition of the loan market quite a bit. Um, and you see, you know, single B in particular, you know, far overwhelming, you know, double B issuance and the overall composition in loans that it, and it's made it a very stark difference versus the high yield market. So that, yeah, the loan market today from a ratings composition standpoint, you know, seems to be you know, riskier than high yield, at least just looking at ratings. Um, and it certainly has a much lower rating component than it did, you know, a, a decade plus ago when the when the loan market looked a lot different. And on that point, the point you made about some of the issuance trends um, with the CovLite and the loan-only structures, something that we talked about pre-COVID was the, the loan-only structure in and of itself is not necessarily risky. It's what happens when things go wrong if you're thinking about not having the bonds subordinated to you to, to take that first loss. And we saw this last year. The recovery rates on loan-only issuers was about 43% versus historically companies that had both bonds and loans in their structure had a recovery rate of 59%. So pretty big delta there. Yeah. Um, I shouldn't use the word delta these days. I'm yeah. trying to be better about that. <laughs> yeah. No, it's a, it's a great point. I mean, the market's talked a long time about, you know, will these trends impact recovery rates in the event of default? And I think the answer is that it has. Um, and, and, you know, it's spot on what you mentioned. I mean, I think it's a great indication. Um, you know, we haven't seen these long pronounced waves of defaults to really see, you know, the, the long-term magnitude. You know, you look back at the financial crisis, covenant light loans perform better because at that time it was really only the, the better loans in the market that could earn a covenant light status. But today, basically, everything's covenant light. Um, 91% of loans issued this year. I just looked up that stat. Let me see where we were. Um, You know, you sort of lower quality or lower rated issuance in the the single B area. Um, And I think, you know, you are starting to see some of those signs. And I think it makes some people adjust, you know, longer term. What are they thinking, 
um, in terms of what should their recovery rate assumptions and things be like for loans, given how these metrics have evolved. Mm-hmm. All right. So moving on, the the next myth we're going to talk about, you only make money when spreads across the market tighten. Yeah. You know, look, Tightening spreads is definitely a driver of return, <laughs> without a doubt. Um, I think especially I say spreads broadly across the market. <laughs> yeah, you know, it, it, especially if you're thinking about investing in you know a, a passive index exposure to the market, like you're basically going to live or die by the path that spreads take. Um, I think there's a lot of other ways to make money in the market. Um, you know, I've talked before about this idea of almost like getting paid for complexity. And, you know, on top of getting compensated for interest rate risk or basic credit risk, you know, the market, especially in the sub-investment grade market where, you know, things happen to companies and that results in complexity in analyzing credit. And I think you can earn a premium for that complexity as well. So, you know, I know we have a variety of examples, but, you know, companies getting upgraded or downgraded, you know, companies going through M&A activity, Um, positions that are inherently illiquid, you know, all these types of things can result in complexity, I think, that can result in the ability to make money absent just a broad trend in what you see going on in terms of spread. So more specifically, you know, what are some things you're seeing right now in the market? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, look, last year, we talked a lot about fallen angels. Um, There were uh, $220 billion of fallen angels or something, a, a annual record. You know, this year we're now talking about rising stars, which is companies that can get upgraded from high yield into investment grade. And, you know, there's some stats that as many as I think $280 billion of rising stars could occur between now and the end of next year. You know, you look at a situation like that, that type of event, um, a lot of the spread tightening that might occur on the upgrade actually happens before the upgrade. So if you're taking a look at you know what might be a likely rising star candidate, uh, the ability to get involved in some of those names you know a, a, a quarter or two before that likely event occurs, you know might afford you the ability to capture you know, a tightening spread for that individual company before that event happens. Because, and and the reason that's impactful is that if you do look at where investment grade spreads are, you know, relative to higher quality, high yield, you know, there's still an extra, you know, 100 basis points of pickup or so um, in spread tightening that you can gain by going to investment grade. So, you know, there's situations like that. Um, We certainly see a record amount of issuance in the markets, a record amount of refinancing, um, you know, if you can pick up an extra point or two on a on a refinancing, um, you know that can be really impactful in this kind of environment. And then you know something else that we've talked about and, and written about is that if you actually look at indexes of newly issued companies, uh, they tend to actually perform better. Um, and they perform, you know, quite well as almost an investment strategy of investing in new issues to a certain extent. And so, you know, we see a, a variety of these types of events that I think can occur within the context of a relatively strong market that, you know, if you can make an extra 100 or 200 basis points on some of those in an environment where the market's just giving you income, which is only a 5 or 6% annualized return, you know, that's suddenly really impactful. Um, and I think in the context of markets and and just 
the paltry level of returns when interest rates are as low as they are, you know, those types of incremental strategies can really generate some nice returns for investors. Yeah, definitely. And we just put out a, uh, a piece on all of the opportunities that we're seeing in event driven, which, you know, at its core, we really view event driven as just identifying mispriced or kind of misunderstood um, opportunities. So, you know, talking more about today's environment, and you just referenced the record amount of debt that we've seen issued. Um, I think one of the misconceptions there is that all this record debt is cause for concern, that companies are very over levered. Um, so what are your thoughts there? There is definitely an environment of risk taking in the market. And so given that rates are low and money is sort of easy to come by, I think it's not surprising to see that a lot of companies are tapping the market. Um, you know, as we look at a variety of trends in terms of, you know, the the ratings quality of the companies that are issuing, you know, in the high yield market, for instance, for instance, it's not a deterioration as it relates to the overall market. You're still seeing, you know, fairly healthy issuance of, you know, double B rated companies and things like that. So that as we talked before about that overall ratings mix of the market, you're not seeing this record issuance, you know, greatly tilt a lot of those statistics. Um, I think it's a, you know, one of the other things that we've seen, I mean, you know, if you look at leverage levels in the market, they are much higher than where they were, you know, when I was analyzing companies 15 plus years ago. But when you think about the interest rate environment we're in, companies can support those debt burdens. You know, the interest expense for borrowing is much lower than what it was before. And I think that can allow companies to borrow a little bit of excess debt. Um, you know, their, their interest coverage ratios are not deteriorating. And then we're in a fairly strong growth environment. So, you know, through the pandemic, we did see overall, you know, leverage levels deteriorate or go higher for companies. But that has predictably, I think, started to reverse as, you know, GDP growth is strong and companies are now reporting, you know, strong EBITDA and revenue growth trends. You know, that will help naturally bring some of those leverage numbers in line and could help even further improve interest coverage statistics for companies. So, you know, I think it bears watching. Um, you don't want to see these numbers, you know, really blow out and get super high, right as the the narrative about the end of the cycle starts to get really loud again, um, because that's where you could have some risk if the cycle turns and companies are caught with a lot of leverage. But I think right now, it you know, it, it's not really setting off alarm bells for me. I, I think it looks pretty manageable. Um, you see default rates that are extremely low. So, you know, default rates are a little bit of a lagging indicator. Um, you know, distress ratios in the market are extremely low. You know, there's not a lot of things that are signaling risk about this heightened level of issuance that we see going on in the market right now. Yeah. And then also looking kind of at the technical side of things. So looking at supply and demand statistics, even though we've seen this really strong issuance, there's been demand to support it. So technicals in the markets market are much, much more balanced this year than they were last year when there was just tons of excess supply in both high yield and loans. Um, and we're seeing things like the fact that a lot of the debt is being used to refinance um, existing debt or, and then fewer fallen angels uh, this year and then rising stars, which take you know high yield bonds out of the high yield market. So really just all these things are, are keeping technicals a lot more balanced um, to support the market. Yeah, no, I think that's right. All right, let's let's wrap it up. I have one more question, um, one more myth, I should say. So, which is that 
spreads are too tight right now to warrant an investment and that I should just wait until spreads widen to consider entering the credit markets. Yeah, I mean, you know, going back to, uh, I think the question about a sell-off being imminent, um, you could end up waiting a long time, um, (laughs) (laughs) I think is, is something that we've seen in this market over many, many years. Um, the cycles don't tend to turn quick, you know, prior to the pandemic, a lot of people were saying, you know, this is the end of the cycle. It's late cycle. Something's bound to happen. You know, we're overdue for a recession. And while no one could predict, obviously the pandemic and and the recession that ensued, you know, it happened. Um, one of the things that I think is different today is that it sort of hit the reset button, um, on, you know, our outlook for the environment that we're in. And it had been, what, a decade since the previous recession? You know, not to say that it's going to be a decade until the next one, but if we really hit a reset button to a certain extent in the market, we could have a fairly long runway of, you know, decent growth and, you know, a decent environment for credit, Um, you know, an environment where, you know, we said if you can earn 5 to 6% income when treasuries, 10-year treasuries are at one and a quarter, like that's pretty competitive if you're trying to find returns in the fixed income portion of a portfolio. Um, and so I think from that standpoint, especially when you combine on top of that, you know, the ability to potentially capture, you know, excess return from upgrades and rising stars or participating in new issues, you know, other types of complexity that can generate incremental return, I think you have an environment where on a relative basis, um, you can still make some pretty nice returns, you know, across credit markets. Just because spreads are tight doesn't mean that it's unattractive and you should stay away and wait for the next sell-off. You you really might be waiting a long time <laughs> and miss out on, you know, some nice returns in this portion of a portfolio. All right. Well, thank you, Rob. I think, you know, we have just busted every myth about credit. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there'll be more. There'll dr- be more. I know, I know. <laughs> we'll, we'll do a follow-up at some point, I'm sure. But, um, all right, Rob. Well, thank you so much for joining me. Um, and if you want to hear more about those event-driven opportunities we talked about, um, there's more available on fsinvestments.com. Um, and we'll be back soon. Thank you. This podcast is brought to you by FS Investments. If you found this helpful, subscribe to get new episodes as soon as they are available.